Here's that song you love so much. I do. Everybody loves this song. Welcome to this week's edition of An Hour of Your Life. My name is Kim. And I am Steve. I want to do a couple of things right off the bat. First of all, uh, send condolences to our dear friend Jackie Stivers, um, who lost her cat today, which is... uh, I know most people would be like, oh, it's just a cat, but... um, Jackie was close to that cat. Jackie was very close to Theo, and it was... uh, I found out she... um, was alone at the time. Uh, she and her husband, Brandon, just moved to Nashville, and he wasn't there, and she was by herself, and it was really hard. So condolences to Jackie. Um, on the flip side of things, congratulations to Pamela, who we had a socially distant graduation at our house yesterday. Pamela earned her a master's degree, and with everything going on with the COVID, we uh, University of Cincinnati... Did not have a commencement a commencement ceremony, and she was very much looking forward to walking. So we did a very socially distanced, yeah, virtual. It was pretty cool. We got her a cap and gown off of Amazon, and we, um, you know, the family was there, and Steve gave a a speech, and her mom gave a speech, and uh, we zoomed with family and friends, and it was... And FaceTime Live. And Facebook Live. We are just so all about the technology One here. of us is. <laughs> yeah, well, the, yeah. other, the other is definitely not, but I digress. Okay, but we are still doing fine. Ohio has opened up. Kim and I, the whole household is still COVID-free. Woohoo! knock on wood. And we are doing our best to follow the guidelines mm-hmm. and still... Go out and enjoy as much as we can, but just being careful. We wash our hands. We wear our masks, and we stay away from, uh, I'm not going to name names of stores, but we went to one store where it was very crowded, uh, and then we went to another store that is the same type of store that had a little bit more stringent um, you're required to wear a mask. Yeah, you're required to wear a mask, and it was a little more strict in that store, and there were not as many people, and so I felt much more comfortable there. Well, let's just be perfectly clear. In the state of Ohio, you, unless you're an employee working someplace, if you're just average Joe citizen, you are not required to wear a mask. The governor has just asked that you follow common sense. Yes. And However, some companies have... That's what I said. Yeah, and it's the state you're not required to, but right. some companies have said we are requiring you yeah, to. Yeah, and, and you're allowed to do that. Yeah, but basically the governor said it's the honor system. You're not doing this when you're wearing your mask. You're not doing it to protect yourself. You're doing it to protect others. And that's what Kim and I are trying to do right now. We, I mean, we're not going out to make – we make trips when they're necessary. Mm-hmm. But uh, And when we're out, we will wear a mask when we're – when we're in the store and things like that, but yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think we've made we've we've had a couple of trips that were semi unnecessary. Like we've been trying to find a rug to dampen the sound in our living room a little bit, so that's not necessarily a like a a need. But I I, I mean we were very careful, and I think we've been pretty responsible. I think the big thing is wash our hands. Yeah. And if you go to uh, Rural King, they have 90%. Oh, my gosh. They say it's moonshine. <laughs> it smells like moonshine. Essentially, like, they're selling moonshine under the guise of hand sanitizer. Right. It's really watery, but I'm imagining it's getting my hands really it clean. Smells, the Jeep smells like straight corn liquor. Yeah, if, the, if the cops pull us over. We're in trouble. We're in trouble. Actually, in Ohio right now, you're not because you can get <laughs> takeout liquor. What open container law? <laughs> Oh my gosh! Okay, we need to get on with the show because right. I think this is going to be a semi-long one. So, uh, so we need so to Kim. Focus. Yeah, we're going to talk about cults today. So, mm-hmm. Kim, what do you think of when we say a cult? Okay, so generally, when I think of a cult, uh, I think of religious. Um, but I think we're going to find out that's not necessarily always the case. Uh, I think of a religion, and I think of extremism, and I think of manipulation, and I think of self-harm. Yeah. Okay, so the format of this show today is basically, I'm going to talk about the cult, 
or what cults are and what defines a cult and things like that. And then Kim was going to go in and she's going to talk about a, a specific cult. So, well, uh, I do want to make a caveat real quick. I am going to talk about um, an organization, uh, a, a man specifically who is accused of being a cult leader. Uh, it's there's he's not facing any anything, uh, any persecution or prosecution or anything, but uh, he's definitely on some watch lists. So I would encourage listeners to make your own decisions after we've talked about it. Okay. So here in the United States, when we think about cults, we think about the big ones that everyone, you know, if you turn on the History Channel or A&E or something like that, the ones you always see the documentaries about, about the the People's Temple down in Jonestown, where, you know, they all drink the Kool-Aid. Flavor-Aid. Okay. They didn't drink the Kool-Aid. They, uh, we, we've all seen that one. Mm-hmm. Charlie Manson and his cult. Mm-hmm. Heaven's Gate, that's with Marshall Applewhite. That's the one where they the were wearing the Nikes and yeah. Hellbop mm-hmm. and all that good stuff. The Branch Davidians with David Koresh. And that is, for whatever reason, that's been on TV a lot lately. Yeah. Um, I Well, it's because April, what is it, 19th, 14th, yeah. something like that was the anniversary. So yeah. I think that's why. Maybe that's why. But this episode is not about telling cult stories, although Kim is going to talk about one in particular what we like to do with an hour of your life is we, we don't want to get into all the, the hoopla and what's popular, even though, I mean, we do try to stay current. Yeah. But this this episode is not about cults themselves. It's about the DNA of the cult and why people get involved, what defines a cult and things like that. Yeah. So if you want to hear stories, there are plenty of them out there. There are plenty of podcasts. There are plenty of documentaries about specific cults. But just keep in mind, that's not what today's episode is about. Um, speaking of specific podcasts, I would recommend uh, the CBC, the Canadian Broadcast Channel, I think is what it stands for. That's the one we're listening to right now? Uh, yeah. I forget. Uncovered, I think, is the name of the the series. Uh, and they're currently in season six, I think. Um, they did a good one on the Nexium cult that I'm listening to right now. We together are listening to one on the Satanic Panic. Um, but they're, yeah, it's really well done. So yeah. if you if you are looking for something like that, check that one out. Okay, so right now, yeah, those are good ones. And, you know, just that brings up something, the way my mind works. Right now, I think as people are not driving, we've noticed an interesting trend. And thank goodness we are not dependent on this podcast to earn <laughs> a living but you could watch as the United States and the world started locking down. Just as we track the listens, it has tapered it's, off. It's really a interesting. Lot. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, I'm not going to complain because I'm. No. I'm. Assuming, we do this for fun. Yeah, and I'm assuming that part of the reason is because y'all are spending more time with your families and stuff, and not and with not us. out driving. And that's cool with us. Like, spend time with your families. Absolutely, because we find that when we listen to podcasts most is when we're out driving. We don't mm-hmm. just sit around the house and and turn on a podcast. If Kim and I are going to listen to a podcast, it's out driving. Yeah. So it's just some really interesting things that I'm noticing. Yeah. And, you know, maybe someone who does this professionally for a living, they have all the statistics and they they knew that. If that's you, we would love to hear. We would be interested in hearing your statistics, so please share yeah. them with us. That, that's just my theory. Okay. And that that's, that's not a conspiracy theory. No, bring it so, back around. Okay, here I am. <laughs> right now, and this is really difficult to find. There are a lot of sources out there on the web and trying to pinpoint this down to what's accurate. But right now, the best estimate that we can come up with is there are about 10,000 cults in existence today in the United States alone. And this according wow. to a psychologist, a guy named Steve Eichel, and he's recognized as an international cult expert and he's the president of the International Cultic Studies Association. Not Celtic, <laughs> but cultic. Most cults are extremely small, and they very deliberately try to stay out of sight, out of mind. You know, out, They stay off the radar because mm-hmm. they don't want the attention to themselves. Yeah. So according to Eichel, what constitutes a cult? And this is what Eichel says. And most of this I'm just going to read. And so... 
just here we, here these we are, go. These are direct quotes. Yeah, direct quotes. Beware of any kind of pressure. That's probably the most single important advice I can give. That'd be Eichel giving, not me. Um, that I can give anyone any kind of pressure to make a quick decision about becoming involved in any intensive kind of activity or organization. Ding, ding, ding. That's a that's a uh, a danger sign out there. Okay. And that's interesting that he says any activity or organization because there are a lot of, I mean, I sometimes like multi-level marketing and stuff, they they do that. They're like, nope, you need, if you but sign you, up this month right now. But listen to the whole, all the definitions and yeah, all the but signs. That, I, yes, yes. I mean, that's, I'm not saying multi-level marketing is a cult. I'm not saying that. But it's, it's interesting they use some of the same tactics. Be wary of any leader who proclaims him or herself as having special powers or special insight, and of course, divinity. That's a big one. That's you a see, big one. You hear Re- that a religion's lot. a lot that plays a lot into all this. The group, and here's another thing to look for: the group is closed. So, in other words, although there may be outside followers, there's usually an inner circle that follows the leader without question. That maintains a tremendous amount of secrecy. Mm. Okay, now we all know some groups out there like that. And I think you have to, any thing, any group, organization may have some of these tendencies. So that's what you have to look forward to. And then the more... You know what this makes, this particular one about it being closed and then there's an inner circle and a tremendous amount of secrecy, you, you know where I th- what I think of the most like that kind of goes off in my head? No. Scientology. Yeah. Scientology is a perfect example of this, of unless you pay your money, you aren't going to find out anything about anything. Another look thing to look for, the group uses deceptive means typically to recruit new members and then once recruited will subject its members to an organized program of thought reform or thought reform would be more commonly known as brainwashing. Thought reform is such a nice way of putting it. Social distancing. Just give me my space. Now we call it social distancing. Yeah, I'd never heard of that term before. I, I, I neither. Thought reform is, that's a very dangerous term. When I worked in the prison, it was two arm links. (laughs) Okay. Typically, cults also exploit their members, mostly financially. Mm -hmm. They need the money. They want the money because the big guys at the top, they want the money. Mm -hmm. It's it's all about the money, I think, right right there. Within the group, they'll exploit members financially, psychologically, emotionally, and all too often sexually. Yes. A very important aspect of a cult is the idea that if you leave the cult, horrible things will happen to you. This important, it's and it's important to realize that the people outside of a cult are potential members. So they are not looked upon as negatively 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 yeah as people inside the cult who then leave the cult so it's basically like the the people outside are potential members but once you get in and you're woke and then you leave the cult then you are you know better the people outside the cult that have never been members don't know better but you do know know better and you are choosing to not follow the correct path, essentially. Because you don't know any better, right? No, you do know better. That's what I'm saying. The people, no, the people outside the cult. Don't yeah, know any I better. don't know any better. But if I join a cult and then I volunteer and then I leave, I do know better, and I am. That's shameful. Now there are four dimensions to a cultic group that are seen across the board, and warning sign: ding, 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 ding. We don't have a ding, ding, ding thing here. Mm. Okay, but four things that are seen across the board. A charismatic leader. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's think of David Koresh. Let's yep. think of Charlie Manson. Yep. Let's think of... Um, Jim Jones. Jim Jones. David Very- Koresh uh, amazed me. He memorized the Bible, like literally actually memorized the Bible. Well, these guys... Amazing to me. They're not stupid, no, in fact, some of them are very intelligent. And that's how they're able to mm-hmm. manipulate. They have to be very manipulative to oh, be yeah. able to do something like this. A transcendent belief system. 
Tra- tra- Yeah. A transcendent belief system. So basically um, the idea that this world is. She just looked at me. Bad or evil or not, not good enough. And I'm going to lead you out of it. Yes. I know the path. Yes. I'm going to lead you out of this. Exactly. It's, it's a very complicated thing. It's not just, Hey, let's go start a group and we'll call ourselves a cult. There is a lot of thought. There's a lot of effort to go into a cult, yeah. to be that manipulative, to be have that much control over people, and then just the organization to maintain that control. Yeah. It's, it's not just going to happen overnight and like, hey, Kim, let's me and you go out and start a cult. And and something that also I think is important to remember is you mentioned it's all about the it's all about the money. Um, well, that's um, sy- systems of control. It's about money and. But that's the, why the leaders can use sex as a yeah well, manipulative tool yeah, to control but, people. But what I'm saying is that's why most cults form is because the one guy or woman, but generally it's a guy, at the top wants the money and the power and the control over people because they're a sociopath or a psychopath. Um, but they are not most of the time. I don't think they are handling their financials themselves. So. They are with the organization. Yeah, that's this what I'm saying. This isn't just going like, to pop up. Yeah, they have to. I would think that if you were going to start a cult, that would be the first person that you would brainwash is like a financial advisor. Do you know or, what I mean? That's or gonna, you don't brainwash the guy. He knows exactly what's going on. And he's taking a cut of this. Well, but, yeah, that's but do you true think, too. Do you, do you think that most cult leaders actually believe this, or do they sit there and they spout this stuff off and they go back with their financial guy and say, "Let's go buy another jet tonight." I think it depends probably on the leader. I think sometimes they, like David, let's talk about David Koresh, for example. I think that he in particular maybe didn't believe it at first, but I think he started believing in himself after a period. He slipped into more mental illness? Um, Yeah, well, just as you get more... Eventually, if you tell yourself a lie enough times, you'll start to believe it. And when you're surrounded basically by an echo chamber that also believes your lie, it becomes more real. So I I think that's what happens with some of them. And I think some of them, it really is just, they really are just psychopaths. In yeah. the truest sense of the word of, I am enjoying manipulating these people and taking all their money and, and there's no consequences. Yeah, it's like, you come in here and you owe me you you have to give us all you give up all your worldly all your earthly positions we're going to live in a commune as a community and, and that seems to be a and your mind trait. though that's the thing that's the psychopathic part of the thing is it's not just I, a lot of times i think it is about the money but it's not just about the money it is the most extreme type of power trip that you can possibly be on because you are not only controlling these people's financials, but you are essentially in charge of their mind. You have stolen their their mind and their heart, and you have complete control well, over every aspect of their Ka- lives. Koresh and uh, Jim Jones use sex a lot. Yeah. Like, your wife belongs to me. Yeah, and I, yeah. That's why I don't, I'm on the fence about Jim Jones. I don't know if he really believed his own rhetoric. I really think David Koresh eventually started believing his own rhetoric and really honestly, believe, like eventually when so many people were devoted to him and, and basically um, telling him the same things over and over again, that you are divine, that you are great. I think he started believing in himself. Jim Jones, I'm not sure if he believed in himself or he just committed suicide because he was afraid of going to prison. Yeah, I mean, a lot I of bad could, things. I happen. could see either way. But we're not going there about no, that. yeah, sorry. And then the fourth thing is systems of influence. And that's now, what you were talking about, yeah. is the way that cult leaders manipulate you. Yeah, so let's review these. is charismatic leader, mm-hmm. transcendent belief system, mm-hmm. systems of control, and systems of influence. Yep. Okay, so there are different types of cults, and... One is the Eastern mystical cult. These are groups related to Hinduism, Buddhism, and other Eastern religions. Now, we're not saying that 
Hinduism or Buddhism is. It's people that take that that go to extremes or they take their own beliefs yeah. out of these and they turn and it into a cult. They manipulate them. Uh, especially, it makes me especially sad with Buddhism when you see people manipulating Buddhism because Buddhism is not even a religion. They don't yeah. worship anything. Yeah, the the Harry Krishnas they are examples of this. I remember back in the day you could like you could go to the airport or if you drove to Florida as soon as you got into Florida they would be out there jumping up and down or on the mall in Washington D.C. and they they always wore like these orange clothes. Mm-hmm. I call them clothes. Pajamas, whatever, and they were always just jumping they, up and down and dancing. They dressed like monks. And and self realization fellowship is another group I'm that's out there. Not familiar with them, but okay, I'm not either. I've never heard of them. I have heard of the Harry Krishnas. Another type of cult is the aberrant, aberrant, aberrant Christian. Thank you, Kim. <laughs> groups that claim to be Bible based, but which deviate in practice or belief. Such as examples of here are the the Way International, the Boston Church of Christ, and the the Shepherding Movement. So they try to make themselves legitimate. Uh, I want to interject here and say that Westboro has now been recognized as a cult. Westboro Baptist Church now they sound legitimate because they have a Baptist um, denomination in their name, but I guarantee you that no. Real Baptist organization, like higher up Baptist organization, is going to recognize them. Those people are absolutely disgusting. Yeah, uh, and if you don't know the Westboro Baptist Church, which I think most people do, but they're the ones that uh, protest at military funerals um, with the "God hates fag" sign, uh, saying that it, you know, homosexuality is deviant behavior that is uh, punishable the, by because God. Because and they started when the army. Changed their policy to don't ask, don't tell. Yeah, and they they um, and then they started protesting, and so yeah, and they protest soldiers and uh, God loves IEDs. Yeah, because uh, they kill soldiers. They kill soldiers that are fighting for homosexuals, and that's that's their belief. Uh, so they're yeah, they're we. Ugh, I have Baptist I have attended funerals gross. where they have been out there protesting. And thank goodness for the Patriot, Patriot Riders. Yeah, they, they do an, an outstanding job of keeping those people back. You know, you get four or 500 Harley Davidsons, and <laughs> they start cranking those engines up, yep. and it kind of drowns them out. Yep, so Fred Phelps and his Westboro cronies are now an officially recognized as a cult. Yeah, as they always I, I should have been. I think by the FBI, I think, is who they're. Yeah. Psycho-spiritual or self-improvement? These are groups offering seminars or workshops providing self-improvement or personal transformation. And this this seems to be like right now the growing trend. This includes transcendental meditation, life, life spring, and the form falling in... The form, yeah. The form, yeah. Um, and interestingly... No, we're not talking about yoga. No, we're not talking about <laughs> yoga, but um, the the cult leader that, we're going, that I'm going to be talking about here in just a minute... Um, is part of this self-improvement. And a lot of this is the psycho-spiritual and self-improvement are also linked to the Eastern mystical beliefs, um, like the ancient, really old Indian, especially, beliefs um, that it may start out as something simple like yoga and then, and meditation, but then while you're in that meditative state, then... Uh, you know, you are led deep deeper into a more hypnotic state, and suggestions are made, and uh, and and things become dangerous. Yeah. Another type of cult is the eclectic cult, and this is a combination of several religious traditions, which includes like the Unification Church, or better known as the Moonies, and the Church I've of, heard of the Moonies. Universal. Yeah, the Moonies. But I don't know what they do. Some young moon. It was a Korean-based cult that... Oh, no, I do think I've heard yeah. of that. Okay. Yeah, they, they were big, I think, during the 70s, 80s. Yeah, they were a little before yeah. my time. Yeah, formerly, um, yeah, when the Church of Universal and Triumph, and I've never heard of that cult either. And then we get into the psychic, the occult. These groups offer secret wisdom and lost truths. <laughs> and i got to hit that button again. 
Examples of this include UFO cults and Edgar Casey's Association for Research and Enlightenment. Also, probably Scientology, I would think, fits into this one. And then there, what we're, what, not what we call, but just in the definition here of established cults. These are Bible-based cultic religious movements which have achieved mainstream status. And some people will lump Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, and the Christian Science Monitors in this group. And I, I think the reason why though they become cults or why some people think of them as cults is because they have um, Christian beliefs or relig- like like major religious beliefs, but then there's just like one deviation from them. Like for example, the Mormons have a lot of, have some Christian beliefs, but then they believe in like multiple they just, heavens. Or they something. really get off the mainstream. Yeah, like they're they believe in multiple heavens. I think something like that. So just they and the Mormons would sit there stuff. and argue, yeah, that the traditional Christian view. I well, and I think that's fair. Yeah. Most cults will say the same thing, and I'm not saying Mormonism is a cult. Like I don't, I know many I don't Mormons. No, anything. I don't yeah. know enough about Mormonism to make that. But I guess too, like Christianity, textbook Christianity was a cult at one point in time. I read that some people considered it that back right after. If you were, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you were a Roman, yeah. it was a cult. But then, but when I look at Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses, we go back and we look at the other, the the signs of what makes a cult. A lot of the things that are listed there don't apply to right. these three specific things. Yeah, and I think that's the big thing. If you are part of an or, a religious organization that, all right, you have some what um, I guess the average person would call odd beliefs or unusual beliefs, fine, whatever, you do you. I've heard of like the spaghetti monster cult, which is not even, or like a, it's not even a cult. Like it's kind of a making fun of some religious practices. What, do what you want, whatever. But it's when you cross that line into um, harming other people or self-harm. Yeah, let's go back to In my, the name of your religion, that's not okay. You know, let's go back to my original things I said here. There's, you know, the, the tremendous amount of secrecy, yeah. the deceptive means to recruit, um, exploiting people financially. I mean, because you tithe, no one is forcing them to do that. Right. Yeah. So I mean Yeah. And I I don't know. I mean the, if if you are not welcome to attend just like one church meeting. Do you think they're talking about like when they're talking about Mormons? Do you think they're talking about the just like the Westboro Baptist Church? Do you think they're talking about could be. the the extremists that have 15 wives and yeah, things like that. Yeah, like the splinter Latter-day Yeah, I wonder if that's that what are, they're talking about. It yeah. could be, could be. Yeah, like that one guy that, like, <gasps> what was that one TV show we used Sister to watch? Sister Wives, yeah. No, the TV, the... <laughs> oh, Big Love. Big Love. That was a good show. Yeah, and they had that Probably one guy who was not, all crazy. Yeah. not accurate yeah. at all. Probably. I don't know, maybe. Yeah, and then you have... <laughs> I hope we don't get any hate mail off all these tonight. I know, please But don't. then we get... Um, the extremists, the political, and the social movements, these are groups that I think are really, really dangerous. Now, all of them can be dangerous, but when you're, we're talking about groups like Aryan Nation, White Aryan Resistance, and the Ku Klux Klan, these are labeled and classified as cults. Uh, which is odd to me. Like I always think of cults as a religious thing, but you're totally right. And I would like Thank to... You. <laughs> I would like to call out um, an organization called the ARA. I've uh, heard of them. Stands They've been on TV a lot. I, I don't know if it's the same ARA. Or anti-racist action is what this ARA stands for. Uh, and on the surface, this is how they get you. On the surface, the ARA sounds like a great idea. Like, you'd, uh, who would be... Uh, like, why would you think that an anti-racist action group would be bad? You, nobody likes Nazis. Nobody likes racists, right? Like, people of color need somebody to support them, and that's true. But the ARA advocates violence against white supremacists, so they 
uh, while their intent, I think, actually is good. The the press they've been getting lately, it's not just against white supremacists. It's violence against anybody who doesn't support their belief system. Has Yes. It, it's gone way past race. Which is what makes these political cults so dangerous. Because on the surface, sounds like a great idea. Like, yeah, let's support people of color. But then when you say when you add violence against anybody into the mix, that's that's not okay. Yeah. That's I'll, where the cult part comes in. Yeah. So why do people join cults? Statistics show that doctrinal issues alone have little to do with why people join cults. The three main reasons are, and tell me if you agree agree with these as we go through. Number one, healing for emotional hurts. So totally agree. And, you you and have I'm, a need. Yeah, and I'm gonna I'm gonna reference this one. Okay. Here in a, in a couple minutes. Establishing friendships and relationships. Yeah. Number two. Yeah. And three, spiritual growth. Yeah, and that's the most dangerous one, I think, because if you um, people get really worked up about religion. Yeah, because that is at the core of of most people's inner selves. Uh, and so if someone comes after your religious beliefs, that's, that's really, um, really tough. And then I think we could add a fourth thing to this, and it's that um, persuasion, the, the thought, what we call thought reform yeah. or brainwashing. Yeah. Um, I think the term thought reform as a reason why people join the cults is very closely linked to spiritual growth. Well, you got to link, you got to pull them in first with something that maybe it's uh, someone who's going through a crisis. Oh, we can support you. We can support you. I've I've found someone who understands and hears me. Then you get them in the group. Then the door locks, and then you yeah. start doing the brainwashing and give me all your money. Yeah, this thought reform thing is you um, brainwashing. It's it's and that's why the term thought reform seems so safe. Like the brainwashing, you know what brainwashing is. Thought reform is it's a slippery slope because sometimes you need to reform your thoughts. Sometimes you need to be like, yeah, I, I really am very narcissistic and self-centered and I need to work on that. Mm. And that's where they get you. That's one of the ways they yeah, hook but you in. Do you think it's a cult saying we are going to thought reform you? No, but it's just they, something that's happening. I think there's just the term that, but yeah, the clinicians yes are using. No, like I don't think they're, they, they're saying we're going to thought reform you in necessarily like that, but they're not saying we're going to brainwash you. No, but they're they're They are saying we're going to help you change the way you think about yourself. Oh. So, yeah, they kind of are. I mean, they're not saying we're going to thought reform you, but I, we are I, going to help you change. I see the track you're going. I was thinking of just the the definition of yeah, doing this. I'm talking about that specific phrase, thought reform, because they are using, like, that, yeah, that's an actual phrase that cults use. I think we're going to dis- agree to disagree on that one. I think okay. I think we're using... How it's used in here is the process. You're thinking of when they're in the process, we're going to help you change the way you think about yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, a growing body of research supports the view that many cults effectively utilize subtle forms of psychological persuasion to recruit and retain its members. Can you think of any examples like that? Uh, Yeah, like what we were just talking about. Yeah. I mean... Oh, you don't like the fact that you have this one perceived personality flaw? I can help you with that. Well, as we were doing our research, we found one like um, they were trying to bring in like recently divorced women. Is mm-hmm. like, hey, look at all the support we can give you. We understand where you're going. Then they get yeah. them in. Yep. I don't remember the exact cult they were luring them into, but yeah. it's out there. Yeah. Like I said, there's over 10,000 cults active in the United States. So you got to be aware in what's going on with all this. Right. Yeah. Contrary to popular myth, virtually anyone can get involved in a cult under the right circumstances. So, you know, I think people typically will think it's weak-minded people or vulnerable people are susceptible to this. But I think this research shows that if you get in a certain period of your life, Mm -hmm. you're down, 
you may be open and receptive to what someone is telling you. Then once you get in there, it's just like we've, we've talked about to me is you watch the news channel that supports your views. Yeah, the, so if you're hearing what you want to hear, yeah. Yeah, and I think too part of being a charismatic leader is knowing your know your audience, uh, be able to read the room and know what the what the people like know an individual's Achilles heel, and know like oh this is what I need to go after to get this person. And it's always easy for someone on the outside to say, how in the world did they get involved with Jim Jones? Yeah, but I think I mean I you know I would like to think of myself as a pretty strong and strong-willed person. Mm-hmm. But if I had somebody that was, I agree to that. But if I had somebody that would, but in reality, I have some pretty low self-esteem on mm. some things. And if I had somebody that was telling me all the time, like you're really smart, and I can help you become even smarter and I can help you learn and I can teach you new ways of learning. And if you just hear that again and again, like that's my weakness is I love to learn. So if I had a nefarious evildoer telling me I can show you new ways of learning and I can give you new resources that pizza is not fattening. You can eat all the pizza you want to. (laughs) It is good for you. It is healthy for you. I'm in. It has all the, the, Basic food groups that you need. Sold. Sign me up. (laughs) Okay. Anyway, even people who are raised in Christian homes are susceptible to the lure of cults. And, you know, we know people like this. And we're not going to mention any names, but we know someone who was raised. Oh. Yes. And you know who I'm talking about. Yes, I do. In a very, that I think would meet every definition of a cult. And when this person, we're not even going to mention male or female, when this person became an adult, it uh, had... A profound effect. And actually, this person was able to transform their negative experience into a positive one and now helps people that are kind of going through the same thing, which is great. Yeah, so, you know, a lot of this stuff is research on our part. Some of this stuff is we do know people who have been involved in this. Absolutely. Yeah. So... That is kind of ends up my portion on cults. Why the things to look for? And Kim, now you you're going to talk about a specific cult, and we're going to like cult leader. A I cult do want to leader. specify that because the name there's not really a name for this group that I know of. Um, I call them the Mujis. <laughs> Muji is the leader of um, this group. And some of you may have heard of him. Some I had never heard of him, but then again, I'm not really a follower of or researcher of Eastern philosophy, so I would not have heard of him. But if you uh, kind of follow those circles, you probably have heard of him. Muji has followers I've heard in the millions. Um, But that's not to say that they are all there. You'll see as we get into it that there are people that are more like fringy. And then there's, like you said, the inner circle. So kind of keep in mind what Steve said about what defines a cult and who is a cult leader. And because I think that this is a burgeoning cult. I think this is a baby cult. They've already got a million some people on it. But... It's just now, people are just now starting to leave and tell their stories. So I think that we're in the, we're in the witnessing the infancy of a cult here, or at least the infancy of, of defining it as a cult. You know, I never, in all that we researched and looked up, I didn't read anything about like the average life expectancy of a cult. Mm-hmm. I didn't. Yeah. Do they burn so out like when the leader when be, the leader dies, it's over? Well, not necessarily because in the, m- the case of the Moonies, didn't the like the son the or son somebody took over? Took over? Yeah. yeah. So, um, so I'm gonna tell you a little bit about Muji, about his background and what he does, and you can kind of and then tell you what people have said, both good and bad, and you can kind of figure out for yourself where you stand on this one. Can I comment? Absolutely. Okay. All right. So Muji is an Amer- is a Jamaican spiritual teacher based in the UK. He was born Anthony Paul Moo Young um, in 1954 in Jamaica. His mom migrated to the UK when he was only a year old. 
leaving him with his father and her cousin, who later became dad's lover, in Jamaica. So uh, his dad died when he was eight, and from then on, he was raised by a very strict, really religious uncle until he was a teenager. When uh, at six- One of our warning signs. Yep. At 16, he moved back to London to be with his mom. And by age 30, he was a street artist, and he had a wife and a child. And then at about 33, this is in London, about 33, uh, actually it might have been Brixton, I'm not sure, but it's in England. Um, at about 33, he started what he called a spiritual quest. Mm-hmm. And at 39, so at 33, he met this guy who was a Christian and essentially it sounds like his description of this time sounds like what you hear a lot of people who get saved, like have those profound salvation experiences when they, when they come to Christ, it sounds like that to hear him talk about it. But whereas a lot of people, um, I, I would argue that your average Christian who has that big profound salvation experience, it kind of, the fire dies down a little bit and you're kind of left with those embers of you go to church and you get into a routine and it's kind of very, um, you know, you read your Bible every day or whatever, but it kind of becomes routine. So you're saying he never lost his fire? No. He, in fact, uh, at 39, so he met this guy at 33 and then at 39, he headed off to India. So because his fire was so intense, he kept it and then went off on a pilgrimage And he stayed in India for five years. He only came home five years later because his son died of pneumonia. So in 1999, he started producing his own books, his own CDs, his videos, and he started taking students in Brixton. That's where the Brixton thing is. These days, Muji is, I mean, he was born in 54, so he's not a young man necessarily, but he he holds retreats all over the world some of which attract nearly 1,000 people at 600 to 1,000 pounds a week per person. 63 or 64 right now. Yeah, so not, I think a lot of times we think of cult leaders as younger too, like in their 30s and 40s. Um, he's a little bit of an older cult leader. Uh, if, if he, Okay, I'm going to call him a cult leader because I think he is, but you can make up your own mind. Um, anyway, so he, 1,000 people at a retreat and for a seven-day retreat, it's anywhere between 600 pounds. I don't know what a pound is equal to in or euros. Uh, I don't know what the in, what the conversion rate is, but it's 600 to 1,000 pounds a week per person times 1,000 people. It's a lot of money in a week. He's making a lot of money. He's making a lot of money. Uh, now, before we get into um, too much further into Muji and his teachings, we need to learn a couple of words. Uh, One is an ashram. Have you heard of this word? Nope. Okay. An ashram is essentially like a monastery or a religious retreat. And he has one in, I think, Portugal. And also um, a word called satsang, which comes from Sanskrit. And it means literally to associate with or to be in the company of true people. It can also mean sitting in a group of such people. So an ashram is where he lives, and I believe it's called satsang or satsang. Uh, is is that the inner the, circle? No, it's it's basically like the the practice. Okay. Uh, think like meditation, sort of kind of thing. Um, so Muji has an ashram in Portugal that brings in about one point five million pounds a year. 600,000 of which is from, quote, donations and legacies. So he's pretty, uh, he's swimming in money. He basically teaches that there's a sort of, it's like a sort of hybrid Christian Buddhism, whereby you spend a lot of time meditating and getting in touch with what he calls the God self within you. Now, I'm going to read you some of the testimonials, and these come straight from his website. Um, of people that either live at his ashram full-time or people that have uh, gone to his retreats. Uh, Some of these testimonials say things like, my heart rejoices in the greatest gift your grace has revealed inside me. All gratitude to the Supreme One who arranged and manifested the season of satsang 
and Rishikesh. He alone dances, moves, and plays as each and every one. You, beloved Sangha, are the embodiment of this dance, the pure and beautiful joy of God's heart. Okay. I just Googled. Yeah. A thousand British pounds is worth right now $1,210.26. So $1,200 to go spend a week in meditation, basically. Uh, times a thousand people. That's a lot of money. You're making $10,000 a week. If you would like to come to our house and meditate <laughs> for a week. We'll, we'll give you half price. I'll give you half price. So anyway, so, so more testimonials. I've come to discover that this emptiness inside is actually the source of myself and the only place from where true love and happiness can spring from. How can you say thank you enough for that? I've never met or seen any human being with such amazing and unending compassion and love. That is the truth. I love you so much, Guruji. You have completely saved my life. That's there's just like there's some devotion going on right there. Toss up red flags all over the place on that one. Uh, I have this emptiness inside is actually the source of myself for the only, that's the only place that true love and happiness can spring from. And you, I've never had anybody tell me that truth except for you. That that's a little, yeah. Um, now Muji does explicitly state on his website that quote, there is no need to renounce one's family, worldly duties, ambitions, religion, or any other human expression. It is ashram. Then you read testimonials like this. I've never been so happy in my life, despite a divorce, ding, 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 and other challenges, ding, 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 life has brought. I feel totally blessed to live close to my master, meaning Muji, and for being part of his beautiful Sangha family who support each other in all possible ways. Mm. So... On one hand, Muji says you don't have to renounce your family or your worldly duties, but this lady went through a divorce. And other problems. And other problems, and now has fully committed to Muji. Like, she moved to Portugal to live at his ashram. Hmm. So what's the truth? Is Muji just a guy who's experienced the holiness of God and uses that divine spark to inspire others? which is possible, or is he a cult leader? So you're saying this is a group that should be watched? Yes. Now, in March of 2019, journalist B. Schofield, who actually she is pretty well known as an investigative journalist that specializes in cults. Um, so she investigated Muji, his followers, and his ashram. And uh, I read her report, which is really interesting. You can find it on the internet. And she brought forth some videos. Um, they show Muji seated high above his followers in like a throne kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And he's he's just smiling beatifically as they kiss his feet. Okay. Jesus only washed other people's feet. Yeah. Okay. These people are um, weeping as they kiss Muji's feet and cry. Uh, they call him father. They call him master. He performs what he calls divine ego exorcisms. And there is, these are on video too, where people can be seen drooling and they can be heard screaming in the background. Ugh. Former followers claim that these exorcisms were supposed to purge the body of mental illness and other afflictions deemed by Muji to be caused by demonic inhabitants. Okay. All sorts of yeah. red flags and yeah. warning bells are going off right now. So we know, that, and again, because of the secrecy involved, we don't know everything. People are just now kind of starting to come forward and say, I've left this, and this is the things that I've seen at the ashram. It's very um, difficult because you can basically go spend time at his ashram as almost like a hotel retreat kind of a thing, and you're going to get a very different experience than if you live there full time. Uh, but we do know that three young women live with him in his residence at the ashram, allegedly engaging in sexual activity and a sort of servitude relationship with him. Allegedly, he also puts couples together and splits them up, which is classic cult leader behavior. Yeah, that's that control. Another quote 
from a devotee and designated teacher. So somebody that teaches what he also teaches. We may think how cruel the master is being, but the master always knows best. That's that devotion to the... Okay. At the ashram, a strict code of silence is enforced 24-7 apart from work-related needs. There are also silence... Control. Silence retreats, so you get to pay to not be allowed to talk. Well, you tell the kids that all the time. I know, and they don't listen. The quiet game. I would, I would not be a good cult leader. If you act out, there is an isolation building where disciples are allowed to have one meal a day, and you have to commit to full meditation for a determined period of time. Bread and water and solitary confinement. People, basically, people pay as much as $600 a month to move to the ashram to serve as volunteers. So you're paying to go work. Uh, and these volunteers are expected to work 12 plus hours a day in addition to attending satsang that lasts until midnight or 1 a.m. and then get up and do it all again. Two of Muji's disciples have committed suicide, and former followers claim that it's largely because of the competitive and dangerous environment at the ashram. Followers are constantly asked to prove who is most devoted to the master, and if anyone has a problem with anything, they're told that the mind is poison and they must bring their mind under control. Uh, ding, one, ding, ding. Yeah. One of the most interesting things that I thought was the, hero, the heroine, the heron incident. Uh, ashram residents took turns watching this heron day and night, shooing it away when it tried to take fish from a pond on the property. Well, eventually, Muji had it shot. Oh, uh, in some circles, shooting an annoying bird wouldn't be a big deal. But remember that these are people who preach peace and living in harmony with the universe. And also, if this is a cult, they have weapons, which is fine if you're not crazy and basically building a brainwashed army. So uh, I, I think a good reason to keep an eye on them is because there should be no reason why they have weapons if they claim to be peaceful and and earth-loving and so on and do-no-harm kind of people. Why do they need weapons? Eh. In Muji's own words, when you are living with a master who is in front of you, the very presence is there. It confronts you about things, challenges your perceptions, loves you, beats you, lifts you up. So... Also from Muji, in response to the Schofield article, quote, people take some small elements of truth and exaggerate and distort them with their own stories and lies. They post these lies online to support their own agenda. Some even do this to promote themselves and gain personal attention and fame. Muji Baba often says that a true seeker avoids the company of those who gossip. He reminds us that indulging in such habits is like spreading cancer or virus inside of any community. So in other words, people who live at the ashram don't listen. Don't talk to these people like close ranks. So uh, dangerous stuff. Uh, we're probably going to go a little bit long, but I really, really, really wanted to cover this part of it. Um, getting help. If you know somebody who is in a cult, uh, I wanted to kind of, or who you suspect might be under cult um, persuasion, I guess, influence. Control. Control. Uh, I wanted to give some uh, tips from, uh, this is from a gentleman named Dr. Martin Poulter, uh, who studies um, cults and psychology. Uh, he says there are important things that you can do if you know or suspect someone you love is in a cult. Remember that being in a cult is very similar to having an addiction and it must be treated in a very similar way. So some things that you can do. One, inform yourself. Many cult belief systems strongly emphasize the distinction between those inside who have the sacred knowledge and those outside who don't understand how good the cult is. So people who criticize the cult without first learning anything about it simply reinforce this view. Two, inform others, but try to do it without panicking. If you're able to separate the cult victim's money from the cult's ability to get it, do it. So if you are, let's say you have a spouse in a cult and you have a joint bank account. Empty Cut it. her off. Empty it and put it in a different account. Three, be supportive rather than confrontational. Remember that you are trying to get them to make a free choice between an independent life and life in the cult. It may be that troubles at home and their personal life or their career helped make the independent life look less attractive 
and you may have to face up to and rectify some of the problems at home. But listen and get your friend to talk about their life in the cult. And they'll start off by telling you how much it's transformed their life for the better. And although you'll be tempted to interrupt them or challenge them, don't. Just listen to what they have to say. By making them describe the cult in their own words, you are encouraging them to think for themselves about what they have done. I'm a good listener. (laughs) You are. And then follow this up by asking what the teachings of the cult are or how their life compares with life before they join the cult. And what they say to you is very important. It's the key to understanding why they join the cult. Then after you've got them to kind of open up a little bit, make them aware of what a cult is and let them come to their own realization that they're in a cult. They- now, if you're that brainwashed, are you going to do that? Well, uh Eventually. I mean, this is not going to be like a let's sit down one time and we're going to fix it. But what you. if they're isolated? Um, I mean, if you, ha- this is assuming that you have access to them. Okay. Um, people in a cult probably won't accept an accusation immediately. It's best to start with well known sources like video documentaries or mainstream press articles. Um, you know, get some documents or articles with you to back up the claims in the article or video. Uh, remember that the facts are on your side. The point of the exercise is to allow your friend to look at the facts with an open mind, not tell them off. So maybe get um, a documentary about Jim Jones or something and like watch it with them. Um, And then once a person has left a cult, it's essential that they see a licensed therapist and or get involved in a support group. They probably have a lot of weird conflicts going on in their head and their heart because their entire belief system has been shattered. And we talked about this earlier. You need to continue to be a support for them, a non-judgmental support. Okay. Well, I mean. That was a lot. I know. That was a lot to throw at you. But uh, go back and listen to it again if that was. If you need to listen to it a couple times. I I think what we need to keep remembering here is just in the United States alone, there are over 10,000 cults mm-hmm. that are being tracked. Maybe some of them are dangerous, and you know we, we may turn on the news tomorrow and find out another Jonestown or something like that's happened. And there may yeah. be just some that are just not hurting anybody, and people are there of their own free will. And, yeah, and that's what I thought you know, about. They want to live in a little commune in upstate New York. and Right, that, and that's what I thought about Muji. Like, as like practicing silence and silent meditative retreats, that's fine. But when you have someone like kissing your feet and calling you God and master, that's eh, kind of borderline. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah, that's, that's not that's, that's not that's probably healthy. Right yeah. yeah. So, uh, so just be careful if you are, especially if you are in one of those. Um, faiths or practices that encourages um transcendence like meditation um meditation is great and fine and prayer is great and fine but just be aware of what is happening around you and with you and with your mind now let's talk about another thing here real quick so we what you were just talking about how to help somebody if you have access to them yes if you don't have access to a person, so you can't write them letters or anything like that, what should you do? What actions can we take? Um, Your best bet, if you are in America, now I'm sorry I can't speak for the rest of the world, um, but if you are in America, contact the FBI, and it's just FBI.gov. I understand that you your first instinct would be to call the local police and that's fine. You can try that. But nine times out of 10, they are not the cult leader and the cult are probably not breaking any laws. And the cult leader is probably being very careful not to break any laws so that they, that we would know of. Right. So that the police can't do anything. Um, but they're, the FBI has a little bit more, I mean, obviously they're the FBI. They have well, they a still bit have more to be committing in, a crime. But they have a little bit more intelligence gathering ability than the local police department does. So, um, I mean, you can call the local police. It's not going to hurt. But your best bet is to just go to FBI.gov and uh, there you can Report find, a tip. Yep, report a tip. And let the FBI do their job and Absolutely. determine if a crime is being committed. Yep. All Absolutely. Right. Well... I learned a lot about cults tonight. Yeah. 
if you are interested in learning more, uh, it was actually kind of hard to research this this one um, because cults by nature are secretive and there actually is less uh, than you would think about current cult stuff. So if you're more, inter- if you are interested and you want to kind of learn more, um, let us help you because I found some resources uh, educational wise. Um, so you can email us at alosthour at gmail.com and I'll share those websites with you. Because uh, uh, there's really not a ton of them. There's one that I found that was really good, um, just about learning about what cults are out there. And there's like forums and message boards and all kind of stuff. So if you want to learn more, find us at um, Facebook and Instagram at An Hour of Your Life, Twitter, A Lost Hour, and Gmail, A Lost Hour at gmail.com. And I'll send along what I got. All right. Well, I learned a lot about cults tonight. And not necessarily about specific cults, because I can watch the History Channel about that, <laughs> but this other stuff that we researched and looked into, I, it, it just amazes me is how much stuff yeah. we don't know when we really yeah. start looking into something. It's really scary to think about the fact that there are 10,000 cults out there right now in America. And just we, in the United States. Yeah, and we know very little about them. All right. So, I think that's going to wrap it up yes, sir. tonight. So, from... Ooh, I hate when you do that. <laughs> so, yes, ma'am. So, from our studios in Sugar Creek Township. Thanks for spending an hour of your life with us. Sources this week include the Cult Education Institute, Muji.org, The Guru, CBSNews.com, Apologetics Index, and of course, good old Wikipedia.